back like we never left. It's Double Loop Sports. I'm Big Baby Stuff. I'm here with the boy, the fantasy phenom, Alex Lott. And it is officially redraft season. It's in full swing. We have guys drafting this Sunday in their home leagues. In their 10 or 12 team PPR redraft league. It's happening. I have a home league draft coming up next weekend. So there's a lot going on. This is draft season. And we both just come back from vacations. You can see I'm rocking a totally different background. I know no one's watching Double Move Sports for my background, but different background because there's some things in flux, but it's all good, positive things. Alex, you're fresh off of AK. Hopefully your mind's clear and, and you're ready to break down some new look offenses here in 2022 because that's what we're diving into today. Yeah, I know we've had a little break from the YouTube channel, but I will say our Discord has still been popping in full popping. swing. So that's in the link below. Join that. If you want to hang out with us, ask us questions, whether it's redraft, dynasty, especially in these drafts, in draft season, like the community has been such a good resource for figuring out ADPs, figuring out new stats and new information about these players. And and here's one of the things, Alex, I have to say about the Discord, because for a lot of people, you think, oh, I'm going to join this Discord channel. Like, I don't want to be active. I don't want to have to, like, manufacture takes or come up with, like, things to write about football. Then don't. You can just sit in there and lurk. You sit in there and lurk, and you see me and Alex getting into debates, justifying ADPs, talking about trades, just adjusting keeper values. And this is all just free, and you can be a passive bystander watching us drop our takes there against the community. So hop in that Discord channel. I'm, I'm stoked right now. There's a lot of good momentum in that Discord. Yeah, absolutely. And the other good thing is it gets you access to – I don't want to harp on the Discord for too long, Steph, but we randomly will jump into Discord live streams where we're just – hanging out, talking in the Discord server with our community members, answering questions, going through mock drafts, evaluating rosters. So couldn't recommend that enough if you just want more Double Move Sports because when we're taking breaks from the YouTube channel, which we won't be doing anytime soon now that we're refreshed and ready to go for the season and we're getting into full swing, training camp news is coming out left, right, and center. But when you're just craving more Double Move Sports, it's always on in the Discord. So get in there right now in the link below, and it's free to join. Subscribe to the YouTube, like the video, join the Discord. That's all we're ever going to sell you. There's nothing else. Okay, We have rankings for free. Everything else is free. This is all, all we're trying to sell you. But Alex, let's jump into this because I'm so stoked to just, one, talk football, but also talk about my Super Bowl favorite right mm. now. I'm I'm all in. On the Denver Broncos with newly acquired Russell Wilson in a high-powered AFC West. This is an offense that's going to look completely different. And we've seen that across the board. We've seen Javante going in the top 12 running backs. We have Sutton and Judy taking massive bumps in ADP. Tim Patrick's interesting. Albert O is interesting. But I'm I'm just excited about Russ. I mean, this is one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the Super Bowl era, like ever in the game of football. 6.2% touchdown percentage over his career, third highest all time, fourth highest passer rating all time, top 10 all time in yards per attempt, adjusted net yards per attempt, tied for fourth, tied for the most fourth quarter comebacks and game winning drives since 2012 when he entered the league. Russell Wilson brings a whole new dimension to this offense that just wasn't there with Teddy Bridgewater game managing. It it just couldn't happen. And so that's why I'm in on Sutton at price. I'm really excited to talk about Judy, but Alex, what are your initial thoughts of of how this offense is going to look in 2022? I honestly could not be more in on the Denver Broncos. I love the (laughs) Super Bowl pick stuff. I think it's a little bit of a high take just because there are so many pieces. The AFC West is so competitive. Brady goes to Tampa year one, wins the Super Bowl. Stafford, Rams year one. Broncos, Ross year one. I'm just saying, there's a trend. There is a trend. But I, yeah, from a fantasy perspective, like I think they're going to be a great team. That's awesome. But from a fantasy perspective, yeah, I couldn't be more in on these guys. And I actually love the values on the majority of their players right now. I will say there's a couple that are a little bit questionable. But when you look at the key pieces for this team, Russell Wilson right now, I'm picking him up in the eighth, ninth round sometimes. He's going as the QB eight off the board. He's going behind. I've seen him go behind like Trey Lance in some of these drafts. And to me, I am just going to wait and take Russell Wilson everywhere I can because I think the upside 
is just so tremendous. And I would not be surprised. Your hot take is Broncos are winning the Super Bowl. My hot take is I think Russell Wilson finishes as the QB one this year in fantasy. I I know it's incredibly spicy, but he's done it once before in Seattle with hyper efficiency back in 2017. And get this, his career high in pass attempts is 558. He finished as the QB six that season. And now they're giving him Nathaniel Hackett, and this offense is giving him the reins to run a fast pace up tempo offense where he can actually maybe get above 600 attempts for the first time. And who knows, maybe even 650, 700 attempts for Russell Wilson in Denver. When Peyton Manning came over, we saw him absolutely explode onto the scene. I know it was a completely different team, a completely different regime at that point. But last season, Tom Brady led the NFL in pass attempts 719. Herbert was at 672, Josh Allen's at 646, Mahomes at 658. Like all these guys are over 100 attempts more than Russell Wilson's previous career high. And we're talking about the efficiency of a guy like Russell Wilson. Yes, the efficiency could taper off a little bit if he has 100 more attempts. But Russell Wilson with 650 pass attempts and a bit of a rushing floor as well. I know that's not his primary game now like it used to be earlier in his career. But there is a clear path here for Russell Wilson to be a top three quarterback and, like my hot take, potentially be the number one quarterback in fantasy. Last year, the Broncos were 28th in pace of play with Teddy Bridgewater at the helm. Got to imagine that's going to go up. And I don't even think necessarily Russ is going to have some crazy pass volume this year. They have the two good running backs in Denver. Historically, Denver does like to run the ball a decent amount. Now having the two capable backs, they can essentially keep both guys fresh. They can run it like a Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, like we've seen in Cleveland over the last couple of years as well. So what I what we, we do know is that the pace of play is going to be higher. But what we've seen from Nathaniel Hackett is just letting the quarterback dictate the pace of play, right? With, with him and Aaron Rodgers, right? And Hackett gets memed on all the time of like, what's he really done? Because he had Aaron Rodgers as the starting QB for his career, um, at least notably so far. So, what we saw, though, is that Rodgers was able to run his offense that he wanted to run. He's able to drain the clock better than anybody in the NFL. He's always trying to get people at the line of scrimmage to jump off sides. Like, he's going to let Russ do what he wants to do. And it seems like part of the request for Russell Wilson to get out of Seattle was about that pace. We saw even last year, I know he had the thumb injury, definitely slowed him down down the stretch, really hurt DK Metcalf, really hurt Tyler Lockett. Uh, in Seattle, but even the year before where he started the year super, super pass heavy. And then we hit about week eight, week nine, and then we see Seattle and Pete Carroll get back to their old ways. So I think Russ wanted to maintain that volume that is going down narrative street a little bit, but we know, we know it's going to be better than 28th in the league. And that makes Corlin Sutton, a guy who's very interesting as a high end wide receiver too. I have him in the same tier as guys like Terry McLaurin. Right now in my rankings, if we look at Jerry Judy, he's a little bit lower. And I'm fine with both of these guys that cost Judy right now uh, on underdog wide receiver 23. So a low end wide receiver two, I think that's perfect for him. What we have not seen is Sutton and Judy both be productive on the field at the same time. That's the number one question mark, right? When Judy was out last year, Sutton had a dominant stretch. Judy comes back in, gets muted a little bit. We saw Judy with no Sutton get the massive air yard season with Drew Locke. Had like over 1,500 air yards, horrible catch percentage, terrible efficiency. But he did get the air yards, which is what you want to see in receivers. Alex, I'm curious, are, are you in on Judy as a guy with a high ceiling? Or do you view him as more of a floor play? I think both of these guys have a high ceiling. And with Judy, we really haven't had the opportunity to see what he can do at the NFL level. I mean, he flashed as a rookie. Last season missed a bunch of time with the injury and the offense has been terrible and slow for both of those seasons. So now give him a full off season. He's back to hundred percent health, give him the quarterback upgrade, give him an offense with some more volume. And we could start to see Jerry Judy actually have a high ceiling and a high floor. So I'm with you. I like Sutton and Judy right now at cost. If I can get Sutton in the fourth or Judy in the fifth, I'm taking that all day. I'd love to have them as my wide receiver too. If I've got two really strong running backs as well, and even Tim Patrick as a, a deep sleeper, I see him just about free a lot of the time. And if Sutton or Judy miss any games, Patrick almost becomes a, a premium flex play in all those weeks. And even if Sutton and Judy are active, I still think you can put Tim Patrick out there 
and hope for a solid performance if you have a two flex league or a three wide receiver league. And team. Steph, the interesting thing about the volume in this offense, I know they have the two running backs, you have the three receivers, even Albert O and Dolchich are a little bit interesting at tight end. But this team is going to face the Chargers twice, the Raiders twice, the Chiefs twice, and we could see these pop weeks in these shootout games. Out of division, they also play the Cardinals, they play the Rams, they play the Ravens. So they have a lot of games that could have these high over-unders that have shootout potential, and that could artificially inflate and give us the upside that we want from some of these names, especially you know the names like a Tim Patrick when you're thinking, hey, when's the right week to play Tim Patrick? Probably when they're playing the Chargers and the over-unders 56 points. So <laughs> those are the kind of things you look for with this team. I think the values are all good except one, Javante Williams. Love him in Dynasty. I think he's going to be good in redraft, but... RB11, depending on the platform, I've seen him as RB8, RB9 in some places as well. So taking Javante Williams in the late second round, early third round is just a little bit early for me. I think even a name like Ezekiel Elliott could easily finish the season higher than Javante Williams. But I understand the hype. It's all about that upside and the fact that Javante Williams, if everything goes right, if he is you know, a 70-30 split with Melvin Gordon this year instead of the 50-50 split on this offense, Javante does have that top five running back potential, and that's kind of why you're reaching and drafting him late in the second, early in the third round. So Javante is the one I haven't been taking quite as much in my best ball drafts. And when I look at the board and the ADPs at the position, I'm a little bit hesitant, especially Saquon Barkley is another name going around him where I probably would prefer Saquon Leonard Fournette. I know he's a little bit older, but those are the kind of names you're going to have to pick Javante over. And I get it if you want the max ceiling. Go for it. But Melvin Gordon, he was good last year and he's back. He could have gone somewhere else. They decided to bring him back. And Melvin Gordon at running back 37, I'm honestly fine to just wait and take Melvin Gordon deep, deep in my draft as my running back four, running back five could give you week to week production. And then if Javante misses time, Melvin Gordon's a, a, a must play every single week. Yeah, Melgo did not look like he had, had dropped at all. In his athleticism and his skill set, he was still very, very good on the field. If you look at their stat lines over the season, Javante and Melgo pretty much put up identical seasons, same amount of volume, to down to the carry. And so if you look at that, and everyone's so excited about Javante, we have him, you know, our people have him as this, this RB1 and ADP. Well, Melvin Gordon give you darn near the same thing, and you can get him as your RB4 on your roster, even RB5 in some leagues where he falls. Certainly he's going to be a premium in – 14 team leagues, super deep leagues where you just need stability sometimes at RB2, especially in these hero RB roster builds. Uh, time out real quick. Are you, does it look fuzzy? Is everything working for you? You there, bro? Hello, hello. My check, my check. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. I think I'm back. <clears throat> I think your Wi-Fi just died. Yeah, that was weird. Hold on, say something. My check, my check, my check. Okay, yeah, we're good. I still heard everything. It was just like super robotic. And you were talking anyway, so I think we're we're good. Okay. Um 49ers. Yeah, let's just move on. So let's stay in the West, but let's jump over to the NFC West and talk about the San Francisco 49ers, another team with a new starting quarterback. And I flamed a few people the other day. I got to be honest. I got to come clean. I flamed people that were telling me back in April that there's no way Trey Lance is going to be the starter with Jimmy G on the roster. Shanahan comes out yesterday and says, this is Trey Lance's team. Jimmy G is healthy and available, but he will not be the starter for San Francisco, and it's because they paid so much to move up to that third overall spot in the draft to take Trey Lance. They had to start him. They invested too much. They gave up first-round picks. They had to play this kid and see what they have. We know he has a massive ceiling. He showed a, a little bit of flash last year, certainly with the rushing. He absolutely did. Love the volume that we were seeing from Trey Lance last year. And with that comes a lot of questions about the rest of this offense. So let's talk about what the 49ers are going to look like with Trey Lance in 2022. 
Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Steph, I actually love Trey Lance himself for fantasy this season. And I like Elijah Mitchell at value. We'll get into him a little bit later. But I think I'm out on the passing game. It's one of those situations where I'm in on the San Francisco running game and I'm out on the passing game. And fortunately, with a guy like Trey Lance, who's so mobile, the running game does encompass him as that rushing quarterback because that's the cheat code. That's how you get the premium upside. But I do worry about the volume in this offense. And this is an offense that even last season with Jimmy Garoppolo was pretty low volume. And there's a lot of premier players that you're drafting at these pass catching positions. You look at Debo Samuel going in the second round, sometimes falling to the third, but most of the time going in the second. And then even George Kittle, who his ADP has dropped a little bit this year versus years past, but I've seen him consistently going no later than the fourth. So when you think about this team with Debo Samuel and George Kittle, and then you've got names like Brandon Ayuk out there as well, some targets are going to be spread between even Jawan Jennings and some of the rookies. I don't expect a ton to go to those guys, but there are some more mouths to feed in this offense. It's not going to be, you know, 80% targets consolidated between just Debo, Kittle, and Ayuk. And I just worry about the volume. When Trey Lance started last season, I know he was a rookie. I know they wanted to keep training wheels on, but he started two games and he had 26 pass attempts per game, which would put him right around like 425 pass attempts on the season, which would be towards the very, very bottom of the NFL. I don't expect Trey Lance to be a guy as raw of a prospect as he is to be completing 68, 70% of passes. I think we could see him closer to 60, 62%, which is actually pretty low historically for the NFL. Last year, you've completed 57% of passes. So like, I don't think the completion numbers are going to be very high. I think in PPR leagues, you're going to see guys like Debo Samuel, and George Kittle suffer a little bit in that passing game just because you're not going to see these 8, 9, 10 reception games from them. They might have a pop here or there, but I don't think we can expect that consistently. And I think it's going to be a lot more boom bust for the passing offense in 2022. But on the flip side, I like Trey Lance himself for the rushing ability. And his two starts, we saw him go you know, 16 carries in the first one for 89 yards. In the second one, only 8 carries for 31 yards. But I think we'll consistently see Trey Lance having – 10, 12 carries per game. And I almost think he could be almost like a Jalen Hurts this year, where from an NFL perspective, he's a little bit raw, a little bit inaccurate. You know, his weapons might have some pop weeks and some inconsistency, but he's going to be a top quarterback and could have some weeks where he's the QB1, could be the QB5, you know, looking at quarterbacks, you know, in week 12. And it's like, holy smoke, like Trey Lance has been kind of hit or miss from an NFL perspective. But here he is as a top five quarterback just because of the rushing upside. So, in terms of the passing game, that's what I want to start with. That's how I feel. I've been pretty much out on Debo at cost. I've been pretty much out on George Kittle at cost. And haven't been taking a lot of Brandon Ayuk either. So, Steph, are you with me? Are you down on this offense? Do you think the transition from Jimmy Garoppolo to Trey Lance suppresses the value of these pass catchers? Or do you think there's more of the same from what we saw last year with guys like Debo and George Kittle kind of defying the odds with their efficiency and their ability after the catch? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a tough question to answer because I think there's a pretty wide range of outcomes here. The one guy who is a value to me at cost right now going as a wide receiver 43 off the board in the Lazard, Tony range, and a guy that I'm happy to have as a, a deep flex play, just a guy on my roster to give me some boom upside weeks, and that's Brandon Ayuk. That's the only guy just because Trey Lance does have that candidate of an arm. We saw some splash plays. Some of Ayuk's best games last year where he was hyper-targeted. We're talking eight targets in some of these games, like a game against Houston. Brandon Ayuk had some pop games. He had some touchdowns, and we know he's great with the ball after the catch. So Ayuk's the one that I like just because he is the cheapest. Debo, I'm starting to come around in the third round where if I'm going, let's say, Austin Eckler – in the top four or five picks in the first circle back with an Aaron Jones or a Leonard Fournette and then pick up that Debo Samuel in the early third. That's the only time I've got my hands on him because I don't want him at wide receiver eight. I'm not taking him early over these stable running backs just because there's so much uncertainty was what this offense is going to look like. And I think the range of outcomes are probably somewhere in the middle between Josh Allen's first two years in the league and Jalen Hurts last year. If you look at, and this is kind of reiterating your takes on Trey Lance being a guy that we want tons of shares of everywhere, dynasty, redraft, every format that values quarterback, you need Trey Lance 
and I love him going as the QB nine off the board. This is exactly the type of player that we want as a, a rookie in year two that's shown flashes. We've seen the year two breakout from Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Mahomes. I think year two is the year to invest in these quarterbacks and see if they pop. Hertz was the the case study for that last year. Like it's, we're not going to beat a dead horse here. Lance is the guy that you want, but it's it's going to be interesting if he's going to be more of a But I think he truly does have QB1 upside. Mm-hmm. Just like yeah, Jalen Yeah, and that's Hurts what we saw from Hurts last season. There was a there was a chance halfway through the season. It was like, oh, my gosh, he could do it. <laughs> he didn't, but there was a shot. And it's it's interesting because I think the weapons will, will be the reason that happens. right? There's other Russian quarterbacks that are going to put up numbers. Lamar Jackson's going to put up numbers this year. Kyler Murray is going to put up numbers. Josh Allen certainly is going to put up numbers. Right? And these are all rushing quarterbacks and get it done with their legs. With the weapons being so good, though, I have to believe that Lance gets a, a higher ceiling through the air. Like the floor is the rushing. The ceiling is the receiving that he's going to generate in the passing volume because he has such good weapons around him. If you look at Jalen Hurts' first year, had – Look at Josh Allen, first year in the league. Most targeted receiver was Zay Jones. It was Kelvin Benjamin, Robert Foster, big play Charles Clay. Nothing there for Josh Allen. You look at Josh Allen's second year. And and these are years where he finished as the QB 14 in fantasy points per game and the QB 11 in fantasy points per game after finishing as the QB 1 for 2020 and 2022. But second year in the league. Josh Allen's top receiving target, John Brown, 115 targets, followed by Cole Beasley, Dawson Knox. So until they put digs around Josh Allen, he wasn't able to take that step. Where uh, many people, including us, are predicting a jump for Jalen Hurts this year. We're smashing on Jalen Hurts everywhere in all formats because bringing A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith in year two, Goddard is a solid piece, Gainwell hopefully taking that step through the air as well. Lance is coming into a perfect situation because he has Ayuk, he has Debo, he has Kittle, three of the best yards after the catch receivers in the NFL. So he has to be the guy you want. Now, Kittle at tight end five, it's it's whatever. I, I'm not really – I don't want to say in on him because I just hate that zone of tight end altogether. If I don't get, uh, you know, Kelsey, Waller, Andrews at value, I'm probably just going to wait and get an Albert O – a Hayden Hurst, even Austin Hooper, just these upside tight end names. David Njoku, if Deshaun Watson doesn't get any suspensions prior to your draft. And then Debo wide receiver, we talked about him. Now the run game is going to be very interesting because we have Elijah Mitchell going off the board right now, RB23, Tyrion Davis-Price, RB48. TDP is the guy that I'm smashing on everywhere in underdog and any redraft league because I do think he has some upside in this offense especially in an offense where a lot of the running backs go down. And I know Jeff Wilson's still there. There's some other names in that backfield in San Francisco. Trey Sermon's still there. But Alex, are you with me on on being essentially all in on TDP at RB48? I think I am. I'm all in on on TDP at RB48 because of the value, but I'm also all in on Jeff Wilson undrafted because of the value. I'm also all in on Elijah Mitchell at RB23 because of the value, because Mm -hmm. to me, the only reason we'd be in on TDP is just saying we think Elijah Mitchell is going to get hurt. TDP, Trey Sermon, Jeff Wilson, these guys are not going to take the job from Elijah Mitchell unless Elijah Mitchell misses time. And I understand why that's, a common thought process is because Elijah Mitchell missed several games last season with several different injuries. So like chances are he could miss time in 2022 as well. Most running backs miss a couple games. I just don't see Elijah Mitchell giving up this job. He absolutely dominated last season. He was given all of the carries in this offense. It's the same coaching staff. Nothing has changed. He's had another year under his belt. They've talked about him being the lead back. I just don't see why Elijah Mitchell wouldn't get all the work on the ground with occasionally you mix in a TDP or or Jeff Wilson, whichever one you like more in the receiving and pass protection game on third downs. Because if we look at Elijah Mitchell's workload last season, it was ridiculous. Most weeks, I mean, he kind of got ramped up slow, 19 carries, 17 carries, but that was as a, a, a sixth round rookie. 
in his first two games, getting 19 and 17 carries, eventually takes over the job in week 10 fully, gets 27 carries that week, misses a game, fresh off the injury, gets another 27 carries, then 22 carries. Then he's out for three games and comes right back into 21 carries for back-to-back weeks. Even into the playoffs, he averaged close to 20 carries per game and was the lead guy for this offense. So he had a fantastic rookie season. He's got speed. He fits the Shanahan scheme. And unless he gets hurt, there's no way these other guys are going to have value. Now, I get it. San Francisco's had a different running back every single year. They've had guys get hurt every single year. So that's why it's a common belief to say, hey, TDP could have value. Jeff Wilson could have value. But these guys aren't taking the job from Elijah Mitchell. An injury is going to have to happen for those guys to have value. So I like them as handcuffs. I like them, you know, TDP, if you take him super late in your draft and Elijah Mitchell, shoot, maybe he gets hurt in training camp. Maybe he gets hurt in week two. And TDP is a tremendous value and can be a week-to-week play for you. I like that. But, yeah, that's where the upside comes. They're just handcuffs, honestly, to me. I I disagree with you to to a degree because I think last year Elijah Mitchell, number three in the NFL with an 80% 0.8% 0.8% opportunity share is a massive outlier for a guy with his draft capital and his stature. I know he's a Shanahan guy. Like they made it very apparent that I guess, you know, Sermon was a, a Lynch pick. Mitchell was a Shanahan pick. I don't and know. We how loved true. Mitchell as a prospect. We did. We did. We did. We were all in on Mitchell. We, we made a lot of people a lot of money talking about Elijah Mitchell <laughs> on this channel. But I think TDP was brought in to take off some of that workload. I don't think there's any expectation that Elijah Mitchell can carry up carry for 17 games or anywhere close to it with 20 plus carries a game. I think TDP was brought in to take eight to 12 carries a game, maybe some goal line short yardage stuff. I think E. Mitchell definitely profiles to be the passing down back. That's certainly not going to be part of TDP's game at all. He was I mean, not. It's a, not really Mitchell's game either. Maybe that's where Jeff Wilson comes. It was in, in college. It was in college, and I know they mm-hmm. don't target the running back a lot, right? They have Debo there for short yardage. They have Kittle yeah. there for short yardage. Even Ayuk can can be used in a gadgety role yeah. at times. Two less than two targets a game last year for Mitchell, but you're right. More of more of a function of the offense. Well, last year he finished as you know RB fourteen in fantasy points per game. So right now going at RB twenty three. I think that reduction in volume is already baked into that cost. And so I'm with you in a certain roster build where I'm looking in that dead zone. Right, I'm not getting excited for for David Montgomery. You know, Brees Hall's already off the board. James Connors off the board. Let me pull out the ADPs real quick, and then we'll switch over. Mm-hmm. Gibson's off the board, A.J. Dillon, Josh Jacobs, J.K. Dobbs, and then you have this tier of Elijah Mitchell, Miles Sanders, Tony Pollard, Chase Edmonds, and Elijah Mitchell to me is much closer to the A.J. Dillon J.K. Dobbins, Josh Jacobs tier than he is this pure backup or even a 1B like a Pollard, like a Miles Sanders. And we'll talk about Chase Edmonds here in a minute when we talk about the Miami Dolphins. And let's go ahead and jump into that, Alex. This is another new look offense, not from the quarterback in the case of the last two teams we just talked about, but in the case of a whole new set of weapons, a whole new coaching staff brought into Miami, a whole new offensive philosophy it's clear that the front office in Miami has said, look, we are going to do whatever it takes to make Tua work. Right? We want to give him every opportunity to be that young stud QB that turns us into a contender because we have him on the cheap contract, even if it means bringing in a system that typically tries to protect the quarterback. And, and I hate that narrative because I actually do think Tua has a much better deep ball than Jimmy G. I don't think that's a hot take for me to say, but the efficiency was there when it came to the deep ball from Tua last year. It just wasn't part of his game that much. It was not part of the offense to throw deep passes for Tua last year because their offensive line was so bad, because the system was not set up. So it was all Jalen Waddle on the checkdowns. It was the mix of Gaskin and a bunch of other running backs on the checkdowns. So now you get Tyreek Hill brought into the offense. You get... Cedric Wilson. I think that's just a better football move. That's not really fantasy relevant. And then you have Teron Armstead, a couple other O-line investments and Chase Edmonds is brought in. They put just Yaseki on the franchise tag, but Alex, I'm, I'm curious what you expect the Dolphins offense to look like 
because a lot of people are simply copy and pasting over the 49ers system with Mike McDaniels coming over from that system. Are you in on that narrative or do you think it's going to look a little different with different personnel? Oh, it's so hard. I think the Dolphins is the one that I've had the most trouble with. And part of it's because the new personnel, part of it's because we still have only seen so much from Tua. And then part of it is the new coaching staff. And yeah, I think it's interesting because what they're doing with this roster, it does kind of remind me of what San Francisco did. Like the running backs, they I mean, Raheem Mostert came over. That's a, a clear signal that they want these speedy backs that can run in between the tackles and get downfield. Edmonds is interesting because he is fast, but he is predominantly a pass catcher. At least that's how he was used in Arizona. So we just talked about San Francisco doesn't pass it much to the running back. I wonder what kind of volume is going to go to the running back in this offense. Um, so it's tough. And I think Chase Edmonds at running back 32 right now is one of the best values in drafts. If you want to go with one of these yes. hero RB or zero RB strategies at RB 32, you got nothing to lose with Chase Edmonds because I think there's a chance that they use him in that feature back role. There's a chance he gets 10 to 15 carries per game and seeing four or five targets a game as well in this offense as the lead guy. I don't think that's out of the range of outcomes. So that's the upside from a volume perspective, but he's the best running back on this team. He's probably going to be the starter on this team. I know they have Sony Michelle who they brought in as well. Gaskin, I think is still there. So you could say it's crowded, but he's the best back on the team. And for a starting running back who can catch passes to be going as the RB32 just makes absolutely no sense, especially when you look at some drafts and he's going behind guys that are handcuffs. He's going behind guys that are backups. Like if I pull up the PPR uh, ADPs right now, Chase Edmonds is going behind Tony Pollard. He's going behind Miles Sanders, who has a ton of question marks. He's going behind Damian Harris, who's going to be splitting work with Ramondre Stevenson out of the season. So in these PPR leagues, he's just going in this range. Like he's Kenneth Walker, Melvin Gordon, Ramondre Stevenson, Michael Carter. Those are the names around Chase Edmonds. And those guys aren't even clear starters. So like, I think Edmonds is a good value. That's probably all I'm touching in the running game. But then if we look at the receivers, I think Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle are so controversial and... I know how I feel about them. I think we disagree. But, Steph, I want to ask you first. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, what do you think about these receivers? Tyreek Hill currently going as the wide receiver 9. Jalen Waddle going as the wide receiver 18 around later. Are you in on either of these guys or both of these guys um, or neither of these guys at value? Yeah, we're, we're having an interesting tier of players, a type of player in 2022 that's a – fantastic yak receiver with proven production that we know is good at football that is in either a murky or bad situation or perceived bad situation. And it's Debo Samuel, Tyreek Hill, and AJ Brown. All three of these guys we know are yak monsters. So it comes down to how much do you value yards after the catch? And just being one of those guys where if the ball is in their hands, there's a chance it could go to the house on any given touch. Right, whether it's through the air or on the ground, whether it's in the red zone or from the 40, like there's always a chance that these guys could take the house. So, how much do you value the player versus their situation? And so, for me, I'm putting Tyreek Hill right there with AJ Brown. I put him just a touch above AJ Brown because I think the volume in Miami a little bit will be better than the volume in Philly. Um, and I think we've seen Tua be more productive. But one thing that is interesting is that if you look at Tyreek Hill's depth of target last year, his efficiency metrics, he actually wasn't used as this one-dimensional down-the-outside speedster. He was very much a close-to-the-line-of-scrimmage receiver. There's a great video that Brett Coleman just put out on YouTube breaking down the comparison of the Chiefs and the Dolphins. There is a lot of similarities of at least how they will use Tyreek Hill, I think. And the way we saw it done, done last year is when – defenses would stop the deep ball or focus on stopping the deep ball for Kansas city. They would then focus on Tyreek near the line of scrimmage. And we saw him be one of those guys that any play can go to the house. He's so shifty. He's so electric. He's so elusive. You cannot bring him down. And these guys typically don't take huge hits because they're able to get out of balance and they're just that darn fast. So Tyreek is certainly a guy that I'm fine with as my wide receiver one. I don't love it. But certainly if the value is there, I'm willing to, to push my chips in. 
right now going off the board wide receiver nine. So right behind Debo and ADP, to me that just the, the way I'm drafting, the way the roster builds are going this year, I'm probably going running back at that late round two, yeah. mid round two. So I don't have many Tyreek shares, but I don't think there's a death sentence in his future just because he's in Miami now. With two. Yeah, I, I like Tyreek. I'd take him over Debo this season. Um I just think the volume in Miami is going to be better than the volume in San Francisco. And you said it. I think the pure talent of Tyreek Hill trumps the downgrade. <clears throat> I think the talent of Tyreek Hill trumps the downgrade of the offense. And you said it. Yes, he is one of these burners downfield, but so much of his production, similar to Debo Samuel, does come after the catch with that speed. So I think he and Jalen Waddle are honestly going to be a nightmare for defenses. The question becomes, is there really going to be enough volume for both Waddle and Tyreek to return on these ADPs? Like they would both have to be top 15, top 18 wide receivers. Waddle last season, even as a rookie, was really propped up by volume. 140 targets in that rookie season. They still have Mike Gusecki as well. You mentioned they brought in Cedric Wilson. They're probably going to target their running backs a little bit with Chase Edmonds as a pass catching back. So I just wonder if Jalen Waddle's only getting... 120, 130 targets, and Tyreek comes in to lead the team in targets. I actually worry a lot more about Waddle at his ADP than Tyreek, and I find myself taking Tyreek in the late second a lot more frequently than I do taking Jalen Waddle in the third. I think Tyreek is going to be the 1A and the clear number one um, in this offense. So that's where I've been pushing my chips, and I'd much rather have Tyreek even around earlier than Jalen Waddle just because we've seen the sample size with Tyreek for so many seasons, truly being a one-of-a-kind player, and we know what he can do with the ball in his hands. So I think both are going to be fine. I think it's obviously good for Tua, but he's no more than a, a streamer probably to start out at this point, maybe has some breakout potential. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm in on Tyreek Hill, and I, I have him firmly in my top eight wide receivers right now. So I really do like him at that value. Wow. Okay, you're very in on Tyreek. For for Waddle, it's, he, he's kind of similar to Brandon Ayuk. We make the San Fran McDaniel Shanahan comparisons where Waddle in an empty receiver room balled out. That's the exact same thing we saw from Brandon Ayuk as a rookie, where once mm. Debo went down, once Kittle went down, he was absolutely the guy on pace to do crazy things from a fantasy perspective, big splash plays, hurdling guys to get in the end zone. And I think Waddle could have that type of production this year, but I, I think he's going to have a much higher floor. He was drafted higher. He's a more, uh, you know, highly touted prospect and player. And his year one production was much better and more consistent. So I think I view Waddle as just a better Brandon Ayuk, which makes him a guy I'm fine with as a flex. Hopefully, hopefully I don't have to put him as my wide receiver too, just because I don't know what that system's going to look like. But he's certainly one of those players where you can can kind of call your shot based on how the roster construction is building. If you're going with Keenan Allen and Mike Evans, right, these safe known commodities, and you're like, what's that extra name that I can add to this receiver room to take me over the top, give me some boom potential? Totally fine with Waddle for those roster builds as a flex in that fourth round is probably where I'm taking him, maybe late third. But Alex, let's talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. We saw Tyreek go from the Dolphins to the Chiefs. We're going to go – or I'm sorry, Chiefs to the Dolphins. We're going to go Dolphins to Chiefs, Chiefs, Dolphins, Dolphins, Chiefs. But this now is I'm a confused. situation <laughs> – I'm confused too. But but what's also really confusing is the fact that we don't really know after Travis Kelsey how to view – these Kansas City weapons, we don't know how to view this backfield. Now, we talked about in our last episode, we are in at Ronald Jones at his RB4180 ADP. Since we dropped those takes, he, he has gone up one spot in ADP. So not a ton is changing. People are not shifting their minds quick enough on Rojo. I think he's still a value right now. We'll see if he continues to creep over time. I know CEH hit the pup a little bit so far over camp. So if CEH is for whatever reason on the pub or they come out and say, hey, he's going to have to earn his snaps again this year. I think Rojo's ADP could skyrocket. So let's just talk about what happens in this receiver room because right now we have Juju going off the board wide receiver 27. We have Sky Moore wide receiver 47. And Marcus Valdez-Scantling actually going three spots higher as far as the wide receiver position, a wide receiver 44 ahead of Sky Moore, which I think is is pretty spicy. MBS really hasn't gotten me too excited, but 
we know we know Kelsey is like right now tied in one ADP. I think it's fine. Whatever. Mahomes, same old, same old. I think he's still going to find a way to get it done. Right now, people are putting him behind Justin Herbert, and I think that is smart just because Herbert has the upgrade in weaponry versus Mahomes having the downgrade. Really where the ambiguity lies, Alex, is between Juju, MVS, and Sky Moore. Help me sort out what this offense is going to look like with Kelsey getting the extra money this year, changing his contract around. Like I know he's getting older, right? But he is looks to be set for a career year at age 32, 33. The truth is, and I'll break down my preferences and how I think it's going to look in a second, but the truth is between Juju, MVS, Sky Moore, you can even throw Mikko Hardman in there. I don't think anyone has any idea. Like MVS got the most money of the group. I think we'd all agree that he's probably not the one we're going to put our chips on to be the breakout Tyreek Hill replacement. And I don't think Tyreek Hill can be replaced anyway. But the truth is we have no idea. I'll, we'll read the tea leaves and try to give our insight here in a second. But I'm taking every single one of these guys at the current value, including Mikko Hardman, because... Wow. I think Juju at wide receiver 27, he is the one that I think has the highest floor. He is the most likely, in my opinion, to take targets in this offense and to lead the team in targets behind Travis Kelsey. I think if I had to bet on one guy behind Kelsey, it's Juju to maybe get 120, 130 targets. Yes, the dot might be a little bit lower, but in PPR leagues, he could be this target funnel in the slot. He's a threat in the red zone as well. He could be a – who knows? Juju could have – you know, 80 receptions for 850 yards and like 14 touchdowns for all we know, because he always did a great job of getting in the end zone with big Ben in Pittsburgh. And then we kind of moved down the list. So first of all, Juju at that ADP, perfectly fine. Taking him as the wide receiver 27. I think he's such a high floor play. If you start out with a Tyreek Hill, a Debo Samuel, a boom bust type guy, and one of these big play guys, Juju's the perfect guy as your wide receiver two or your flex. So moving down to MVS, wide receiver 44. I personally think Marquez Valdez Scantling is going to have a similar role in Kansas city to what he had in green Bay. I think there's going to be weeks where he goes five for 120 and a touchdown. And there's going to be a lot of weeks where he has four targets and brings in one of them for 25 yards. I just think he's a field stretcher. He's going to be used in that way. The contract is decent. I think it was three years, 30 million, but I just don't see him as one of these true alpha take over the game type wide receivers. We haven't seen that from him to this point in his career. He's had an elite quarterback. He's had games with Devontae Adams out as well, where he could have stepped into that role, didn't do it in Green Bay. But I'm still willing to take him as wide receiver 44. Like, why not? And then we move down to Sky Moore. Sky Moore is the one that I'm actually the most excited about. I think he has the most upside. And if there's a guy on this team that I think could emerge to finish as a top 15 wide receiver, I think it's Sky Moore. Now, maybe not in his rookie season, it's going to take a lot for him to get there. He's been battling some minor injuries through camp as well. But Sky Moore is one of those names that as the season goes along, as he gets more familiar with the offense, we could see him have one of these rises to the top or by the back end of the season, he's an Amon Ross St. Brown type. Hey, we saw some flashes in the first half, and now he's someone that's winning you your league in a high-powered offense over the back half of the year. He was a second-round draft pick. We love the profile of a guy like Sky Moore, even out of a small school. So he's the one that I'm personally the most excited about and that I have the most shares of. And then Mikko Hardman, we know what he is. He's probably just going to be one of these gadget burner type guys. But with the absence of Tyreek Hill, who knows? And, you know, with the last pick or a, a deep double-digit round pick in your draft, I'm fine to take him as well. And the good thing about these guys, especially MVS and Mikko Hardman, is you can take them so late in your draft that they don't really cost you anything. And week one, we can see the snaps. We can see the targets. We'll probably get a better feel for this offense. And they're guys that you can cut. Like, I love Hardman because you can see what happens week one, move on if he's not the guy. If he is the guy, you hold on to him. And that's a lot better, in my opinion, than some of these names that you feel like you can't drop because they're, like, decent enough to where someone might pick them up or they might have trade value. And then they're just stuck on your bench clogging your roster for most of the season. So, a little long-winded there, stuff, but I'm in on all these guys. And I'm interested to see, you know, if you think this offense is going to break down how I do, kind of Juju as more of the volume play, low A dot, high floor guy, and then Sky Moore potentially as the breakout candidate with the other two stretching the field. I, I think you pretty much nailed it, man. Um, now, I was not in on, on, on Mikul, really at all. Like, he wasn't even on my radar. I didn't look at any of his metrics prior to the show. But if you remember at the time when he was drafted by the Chiefs, Tyreek Hill was under some allegations and there was mm -hmm. fear around the league 
especially right at the time before the draft that Tyreek might get suspended, might get banned, kicked out of the league, might go to prison. So that's when McCall Hardman was taken. Interesting thought experiment to say, look, they've had Nicole as really a handcuff to Tyreek Hill over the last couple of years. Now that Tyreek's gone, maybe they say, hey, Hardman, like this is your chance. This is what we drafted you to be. Can you fill in? I don't want to say all because he's just not Tyreek Hill. Nobody's Tyreek Hill. But can you give us some of that utilization in the offense? Interesting for, for Miko Hardman. He's pretty much free in drafts right now. It's I want one more thing I want to add on him. I mean, he's still only 24 years old. Like we're so spoiled these days by wide receivers breaking out so early in their career. But Miko Hardman through three seasons, like going into his fourth year, this could this is like a normal timeline for a typical NFL wide receiver. Like back in the 2000s and the 2010s, we saw guys take two, three seasons before they broke out. And you're absolutely right. Miko Hardman was brought in to be potentially a Tyreek Hill replacement, ended up being a gadget guy, and they've utilized him in a lot of ways. And he still flashed every single season, over 500 yards in his rookie year, over 500 yards in the second year. And last season, it kind of went unnoticed, but had career highs in targets, in receptions, in yards. Like Miko Hardman had 59 for 693 last season, not too shabby. So now with additional opportunity in this offense, who knows? He could be the guy. And it's actually funny because about a month ago, I remember you texted me just out of the blue and you said, oh, my gosh, is there a chance that Miko Hardman is the guy in Kansas City and he could actually be the one we want? And I remember I just said no. I gave no analysis. I just said no. Uh, you know, Thank there's you. no shot. But to that point, I mean, what we're talking about today, it's all about potential upside, potential value at cost. And when it's basically free, I love taking a dart throw on Miko late in drafts. He was a second round pick, a late second round pick. I'm just saying, we've seen draft capital carry guys well into their careers. You're like, oh, Corey Davis is done. Mike Williams is done. The high end draft capital gives them a little bit of leeway to hang around for, for the league in the league if they're not. I mean, shoot, Nikhil Harry's still in the league. My goodness. <laughs> Apparently, he's already dropping passes from fields in camp. But I want to talk about. The other receivers here, Juju, to me, his fantasy value honestly doesn't change. Like he he was a flex last year. He was the number three last year perceived behind Deontay and Claypool. I view him as, as pretty much the same this year behind Kelsey. I view him as the number two this year behind Kelsey. And when did we see Juju have the 1,400-yard season? His big breakout year, his second year in the league, was when he had a true number one next to him. And now we have that with Travis Kelsey. So he had in a better offense for Juju, but more ambiguity in the receiver room. Like, it's unproven. It's a new system, right? Kelsey's still there. But I think all that's fine. It's not like he was going as a wide receiver two anyways last year. So – if you liked Juju last year, I think you'd like him this year. And he's another guy, has the second-round draft capital, just like Miko Hardman, has massive upside. If Kelsey happens to miss time, could see a target funnel in a Kansas City Chiefs offense with the best quarterback in the league. And Juju has always been, to me, like that – Big body slot receiver like a Tyler Boyd, like an Adam Thielen. A CD Lamb is kind of a beefed up version of this. It's a little more explosive. Eric Decker, who had 3,000 yard seasons, perfect example of what a Juju Smith Schuster mm -hmm. is. So it's like you take those names I just mentioned, put them in Kansas City. Shouldn't we be excited, regardless of what you think about the TikToks or whatever dumb narratives you want to come up with, with about Juju, the maturity? Get all that out of here. He's the type of player that when you put him in a good situation, like Golden Tate where he can produce and he's going to be the solid, steady guy, isn't going to give you those Tyreek Hill 40-point fantasy weeks, but no one's expecting that, especially at wide receiver 27 off the board. And then with Sky Moore, he did open up camp healthy, which was really, really good to see. And Juju came out and already said Sky Moore looks great. He's taking snaps out of the backfield. I think they're trying to see, could Sky Moore play that gadget role for us? I know it's very early, like we're just days into camp, so I don't want to overreact to anything right now. And it's tough because we're coming off two years where there was very limited access for the media to be involved in camp, to be involved in preseason with all the COVID stuff. So now it's kind of like a readjustment of like, remember back 
what it was where you were seeing a million camp highlights and headlines come out leading up to the season. It's fun, but you just don't get too caught up in it. You know, we all saw how things broke down with Jamar Chase with all these drops in camp. He's going to be – and then comes out and he's one of the best guys that we thought he would be, should be, based on what he did in college and the draft capital coming in. So I, I like Sky Moore, like you said, as a breakout candidate in certain roster builds. He's a guy that, like, when I'm just praying there in, like, the eighth, ninth round, please, Sky Moore, just make it to me, make it to me. And then he's there, and it's an easy smash. He's, he's a perfect guy outside. to have as your fourth wide receiver on your roster because – if you're in a two receiver, one flex league, like you don't have to rely on him to start him every single game. Maybe your wide receiver five on your roster is more of a high floor guy, like a Jamison Crowder type in a PPR league. So then you can let Sky Moore sit there, wait and see what happens. And you don't have to feel like you need to start him every single week. And you just have that upside on your team. Sky Moore did crazy, crazy, crazy things in college. I know it was at a small school, but had one of the best, like cleanest profiles, amazing combine, super quick, and just absolutely dominated next to NFL level talent and Dwayne Eskridge as well. So let's shift over. Last team we'll talk about today, the New Orleans Saints, another new look offense, both with the quarterback play because we saw Jameis Winston for a bit. He kind of was throttled down some, like the past point wasn't there, Camara was getting a ton of carries on the ground, more than he's ever gotten his career last year. But then they invest in Chris Olave. They bring in Jarvis Landry. They even invest in Andy Dalton. Abram Smith is a late, late, late round running back. Just dart though. He's they more just like brought in Malcolm piece. Brown as well at running back. I, I saw the Malcolm Brown signing. I'm still intrigued on Abram Smith. I'm not going to draft him, but he's like one of those guys week one. He might be a guy I spent a lot of my fab dollars on if he gets any snap shares, even just splitting with with Ingram or Brown or these guys. But really what we need to talk about here isn't so much like the player values. Right now, Michael Thomas, wide receiver 40, Olave, wide receiver 45, Jarvis Landry, wide receiver 60. So these are guys that are going as your wide receiver four, five, even six off the board right now. Michael Thomas is seeing a little bit of depressed ADP just because of the injury concerns. He was cleared for camp. He's on the field. Who knows if he's a hundred percent really, because there was some skepticism of whether he was going to be ready. Was he even going to play the season? Was he going to start hurt? Was he going to demand a trade? But now it looks like it's all systems go out of nowhere. So how quickly do we adjust to Michael Thomas? And then Olave is a guy that you and I were obsessing over after the draft, we were like, New Orleans is a perfect landing spot. This is a great place for him to take over as a number one somewhere. And he looked like the most polished NFL-ready wide receiver in this 2022 draft class. So, Alex, talk to me about the Saints receivers and if Jameis is going to be back to his old ways or is he going to be throttled down like Sean Payton did with him last year? It's tough with Jameis because I think – in the opportunities he had, he looked good. Like he was fairly efficient, had a couple good games. It was weird. Like I think he had like a five touchdown game. Five touchdown like game, week one. Yards. Week one. <laughs> he had a weird season, but he looked fine. And he was moving the offense just fine and, and had them very competitive. So I, th- but they had no receivers. So it's like Jameis looked good. They had no receivers. Marquez Callaway was their number one. They've now brought in three guys that are going to be above him on on this depth chart. So it's tough because it's like, was Jameis being throttled down because they knew they were going to have to kind of ground and pound and use the defense to try to win games or was it just a function of that's what the team wants to do. And now with Sean Payton gone, they hired their defensive coordinator as the head coach. I think it's going to continue to be a defensive minded approach. But the interesting thing is that all of their off season actions signal a more pass-friendly offense. Like, I think they recognize the deficiency at receiver. They knew Michael Thomas was going to be back. Not only do they bring in Jarvis Landry as a free agent, they draft Chris Olave in the first round. So this is a team that clearly knew. Traded up for Olave. Traded up for Olave. They traded a lot to get Olave. Um, But if this is a team that clearly knew they needed weapons, I think this is a team that wants to be balanced. They know with Alvin Kamara as a running back as well, that one of the best ways they can move the ball down the field is through the short passing game. When you have guys like Olave who can stretch the field, Michael Thomas, who doesn't even need separation to get, you know, slants across the middle. Sorry that I had to go there. <laughs> oh, I had to go there. But 
and then dumping it off to Kamara on screen plays and things like that. And then you throw in Jarvis Landry as another guy who's just a veteran receiver who knows how to get open and knows how to win at any level against the zone, against man in this league. They're going to be able to move the ball, I think, through a lot of these dink and dunk passes. Probably are going to be a little bit run heavy, but then they're going to have the ability to go over the top on that deep ball with guys like Chris Olave. So I think this is going to be an interesting offense to monitor. I do expect the volume to be low, but when looking at the ADPs for this team, I like all of them. I am actually really coming around to Michael Thomas if I'm going to be able to get him in the eighth round because I think there's a chance that he ends up being a top 15 wide receiver if he's fully healthy and back to form. Like I think that's in the range of outcomes for him. I'm not going to reach on him, and I think there are risks associated. But when you want upside late in your drafts, why not go with a guy who showed us that he can be the best wide receiver in the league? And I know we haven't really seen him at full strength for two seasons, but it's not like I, I just can't believe that he is completely washed now. You have to believe that he really was hurt. That's why he missed time and that he's got something left in the tank. And even if he's a wide receiver too, it's an incredible value to get him where he's going right now. And then with Chris Olave, another one of these rookies, I know we talked about Sky more earlier that I think is interesting. He's going to be a big play guy. I think he's, you know, if he gets 100 targets, I think it could be interesting for fantasy as someone you're rotating in and out of your flex and good matchups and things like that, because I think he is a supremely talented player. He was a four-year college player and produced early and often. Even as a freshman, he produced at Ohio State. So this is a very mature guy on the football field who knows how to play the game. And I think he's going to translate to the NFL quite well. And that's what we talked about with Chris Olave when we were breaking down these rookies. Jarvis Landry, I don't know. I'm not so much in on him. I think he'll be fine. He's going to be almost like an Emmanuel Sanders was late in his career. Maybe he has some decent weeks. Maybe he has some flex appeal. But I just think there's going to be... 10 Jarvis Landry sitting on your waiver wire. So I don't really want to draft a guy like that. So I'm in on him, on Michael Thomas. I'm in on Olave at ADP. Even in a lower volume offense, I think with Jameis back, there is some upside there uh, for both of these guys to really outperform where they're going in drafts. Yeah, Michael Thomas, wide receiver 40, was looking at the last week of underdog ADP. I'm gonna I think guess, that'll come up. I'm going to guess in most home leagues, he's going well above that. I, I bet you he's yeah. going as a low-end wide receiver too in a lot of home leagues just because he is such a household name. People remember that 2019 Drew Brees record-setting season where he did things we haven't seen before at the wide receiver position. And what's really intriguing about Jameis Winston as well, when I was doing the research for Russell Wilson, right, I was excited about Russell Wilson. I was like, let me put some numbers behind some of the efficiency, things like that. It was weird how many times Jameis Winston's name was in the top 10. We were looking at yards mm. per game, adjusted yards per completion. Like, yes, he threw the 30 interceptions, which is what turned him into a backup, <laughs> right? Like, I can't sweep that under the rug under any circuit. Like, that was, that's horrible. Throwing 30 picks will get you benched in the NFL. End of, end of point. Like, but is there a world where the upside is there because we've seen that from Jameis and because they're signaling the pass heavy approach. We also don't know Alvin Kamara still has an investigation going on any day. Now could be suspended for four games, six games has caught a battery charge. We don't know what's going to happen with his suspension. And if they can't run the ball with Kamara, if they can't check it down to Kamara, I think it means nothing but positive things for the receivers but the guy I want, the guy I'm circling that I'm looking for in drafts is Olave. Are you there, Alex? Hello, hello, hello. Hello, 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 hello. Internet spazzed again. Can you hear me? Yeah. The last I heard was talking about Russell Wilson. Oh, God, that's so far ago, but it's all good. Um, <laughs> one sec. Okay. Um, I said, so I said the guy I have circled who I want in almost every draft is Chris Olave. Mm. Olave is another one of these breakout candidates as a rookie. Michael Thomas hasn't had the cleanest bill of health, even if he's on the field starting week one. There is a likelihood 
or some probability that he gets hurt. Jarvis and Michael Thomas are just older receivers. They're good. They're proven. But, I mean, they're in their late 20s. Whereas you have Chris Olave, this young blood, looking great in camp, getting hyped up by the organization, by the coaches, especially with you know Dennis Allen and Mickey Loomis like trading up together. Like they are in on Olave as an organization. I think they know he is the future. And I think he's a guy we could see have a monster breakout down this stretch, very similar to what we saw last year to Amon Ross St. Brown. Hey, Adam Troutman's still there, but it's not really like you're not worried about him. He didn't do anything last year when everyone wanted the big breakout. Maybe he's a post-hype sleeper. You can take a dart throw on him, whatever. I'm not going to tell you to do that. But Olave is the guy I want just because he has such a clean profile other than staying in the NFL for four years. We saw Devonta Smith do that, and he's been fine so far in the NFL. And I think we see nothing but continued improvement in Devonta Smith's production, even with A.J. Brown there, as he continues to improve as a receiver, as a player. If either Jalen Hurts takes a step up or they bring in somebody in the draft, like we expect the things for Devonta Smith career long. And I think Chris Olave is going to have an opportunity this season to actually prove that he's the number one wide receiver. I know that's a hot take with Michael Thomas there and what he did in 2019, but the guy hasn't played football in a year and a half. And we see the likes of Julio Jones, of Antonio Brown, of A.J. Green, right? These older receivers that just, you hit a breaking point. Andre Johnson's done this. Randy Moss has Mm. done this. Like there's a long, long list of receivers that once they hit that late 20 age and they start to break down a little bit, it's, it's that cliff. And if this is the cliff for Michael Thomas, if he's already fallen off that cliff, missing a year and a half of football in his late 20s, past his prime, this could be the, the clear path for Olave to be that number one in a potentially high-flying offense with Jameis Winston. But even if it's not high-flying, I still want a potential wide receiver one breakout. And Olave was outproducing Garrett Wilson in college. He was great in the combine, ran the 4-3, got the draft capital. It's it's everything you want in Olave. And so I'm willing to bet on the talent because I don't even think the situation is that bad. So it's just win-win across the board for Olave, and you're getting him at a perfect price as your wide receiver for, as a bench play that you hope breaks out and takes you over the top and, and turns into a league winner, especially in the back half of the season.
dude? What's up, brother? Yeah. Just wanted hey, to. Um, I was just seeing, did uh, 911 message you guys about uh, her plan? Oh, uh, nope. At least not me. Uh, she I, was talking about uh, driving over there and then just having you drive her car back. And then, because I'm going to have to go pick her up tonight, and then that way you wouldn't have to worry about driving, and I could just drive you back when I go to pick her up. Okay, yeah. All right, that works. That works for you? Yeah, so when she gets here, I'll just take your car and come over? Yeah. Easy enough. I don't know if I can yeah. fit in the Civic, though. <laughs> yeah, I might be a little tight, but you know what I'm saying. Shit happens. Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm at the gym now, so just don't head over until I text you. I should be done by like 7, so. Perfect. It should be about the same time, but uh, All right. if you want to just hang out and draft. Yeah, I'm down to hang out, draft, hit some stogies. I'll bring a couple beers over, but not going to get faded. Beers too. Uh, do you have any bud? Uh, yeah. Want me to bring it? Sure. Might see if uh, Justice wants to come over or something. All right. Match or That'll work out well to not have cars stuck at each other's houses. Sounds good, bro. All right, we got to hurry <laughs> just in case it happens again. Okay. All right. But Alex, that's wait. Is there anything else you want to throw out there? No, I'm good. <laughs> okay. But Alex, that is it for today's show. If you like what you do here on the channel, like us up, greatly appreciated. Thank y'all so much for listening and watching. We'll see y'all next time. Peace. All right.